Hi, I'm Alex, and welcome to the Stock Stories Podcast. This is the podcast where we decode investing principles by analyzing the businesses behind the stock, as well as looking at mental models in order to help you become a better investor. Let's go. Welcome to the show. Again, my name is Alex and I am your stock storyteller. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, I'm ready and excited for another episode. We're going to go through another company. If you're new to the show, part of our journey is going through real companies and mostly we go through large cap companies. Part of our goal in this show is to go through the entire S&P 500, and that has been quite a monumental undertaking, but we're getting through it. We've gone through well over 10% of the companies in the S&P right now, and also mental models. We talk about mental models usually once a month or so, but today we are talking about a company. Now, this company that we're about to discuss is definitely not in the S&P 500. It's relatively new to the public markets, but it's in a really new, exciting industry. And I wanted to tackle it uh, because it came to my attention and it just seems like it would be fun to cover. So let's talk about the space industry. Specifically, we're going to talk about Virgin Galactic. Let's go. All right, today we're talking about Virgin Galactic, ticker symbol SPCE. So Virgin Galactic was founded in 2004 by British billionaire Sir Richard Branson. Now, if you're familiar at all with who he is, you're familiar with the Virgin Group. So Richard Branson founded the Virgin Group many years ago, which is a conglomerate of all different types of companies of various types. He's got retail companies, communications. He started an airline, hot air balloon company, part of a banking company, and the list just goes on and on. Richard Branson has been involved in a lot of different types of businesses and really interesting different types of businesses. A lot of them are in the travel type of segment. Um, Not all of them, but many of them are related to travel. So, it's uh, there's probably an entire episode I could do on Richard Branson and his businesses all by themselves, but Virgin Galactic is special because it's one of his more recent ventures, and it's special because it's a company that's purpose is getting people into space, and that's really unique. So, how did this all get started? Well, the inspiration came from the fact that. As of right now, in 2020, as I'm recording this, fewer than 600 human beings who have ever lived have ever been in space. And Virgin Galactic wants to democratize this mission. They want to get more people up into space because it's just awesome (laughs) and something that is very indicative of 
human exploration and just reaching toward the stars and going beyond Earth is, has always really been appealing ever since we first did it many decades ago. And so this is just something that is a mission that's near and dear to many people's hearts, and Richard Branson is no different, so he started this company. So shortly after this company was created, in 2005, Branson created another company called The Spaceship Company, (laughs) and this company actually manufactures the carrier plane and the spaceship. So the way that this works is basically space tourism. You buy a ticket, you get put on this plane after a lot of training, of course, and then that plane is being carried by a much bigger plane, which then goes off and flies off into orbit, basically. And then the big plane releases the small plane, and the small plane is really a rocket. And once it gets released, it, uh, it fires off, and you experience weightlessness for a number of minutes. And then that rocket then basically turns back into a plane type of configuration, and then it glides back down to Earth safely. So in a very quick nutshell, that's basically what's going on here. And Branson created these two different companies to help achieve this vision. So he's got Virgin Galactic. That's a company that actually sells the tickets and operates the vehicles. And then there's the spaceship company, which is the manufacturer of the actual spacecraft and aircraft. So this company, the spaceship company, is owned 70% by... Um, by Virgin Galactic, and then Scaled Composites owns 30%. So this company called Scaled Composites, they bring the technical expertise to building the planes, and they're actually a fully owned subsidiary of the company Northrop Grumman, which was bought by them in 2007. So the company, as you might imagine, set out to develop this aircraft. And as, as you might imagine, it's very difficult to do so. So it takes a lot of technical expertise. You have to do all sorts of different tests on the ground and off the ground, a lot of capital, a lot of regulatory issues, but they kept pushing. They kept trying to do it. Now they had some setbacks in 2007. There was an explosion that during a rocket motor test. And unfortunately three of the scale composites employees were killed in that explosion. And then things got worse almost a decade later when in 2014, there was a fatal test crash when the spaceship, which name is Spaceship Two, exploded over the Mojave Desert. And one of the pilots survived, but one did not. Now, upon investigation by the National Transportation Safety Board, or NTSB, the cause of the crash was cited as a combination of human error and inadequate safety standards. So the way that this plane works is after it gets released from the carrier plane, it has to undergo a configuration change. Basically, these two winglets flip upwards, if you can imagine kind of like a, like a, like a feathers, like flipping up. Um, it's hard to describe with audio alone, but hopefully you get the idea. And that basically creates a lot of drag so that it slows the plane as it falls through the atmosphere so that it can glide safely back down to Earth. Well, the pilot basically pulled the lever too quickly in order to make that configuration change happening. So there are some engineering challenges because 
that design case had not really been thought about, that risk had not fully been incorporated into the design. And also there's human error too. The pilot didn't, didn't uh, act with correct timing either. So that was a major setback, obviously. I mean, when you're trying to build a space company and people die, it's obviously heartbreaking. But Branson and his team prevailed. They kept going. They said, we're going to make this work. They kept working on the technology to make it safer and better in many ways. And finally, success came in December of 2018 when the first successful suborbital spaceflight was completed. Now, this was a major milestone. It basically proved that, yes, we can do commercial space travel. We can have space tourism because we've done it. We've launched this vehicle and flown it successfully with pilots, and they came home safely. So that was a really big deal and kind of opened the the eyes of investors and customers alike, again, to the possibility of Virgin Galactic succeeding. So the, the company here has naturally a short history, but those are the key highlights. Now let's go into the business overview. What is the business like right now with Virgin Galactic? So Virgin Galactic's mission is to, quote, open space to change the world for good, end quote. Now, this sounds nice, and it's very open-ended, though. So what does that mean? I mean, if we get into the nitty-gritty of how Virgin Galactic intends to make money, we can at least find a short-term answer to that question. So Virgin Galactic launches spacecraft in low Earth orbit for private individuals as well as scientific researchers. Might I mention that these are wealthy individuals? <laughs> these aren't everyday people just quite yet because it takes a lot of money to make this economically viable. So they charge high prices for the ability to go into space at this point. So the way they use this is a, they use a plane called VMS Eve and that carries the ship VVS Unity. So those are those two planes that I mentioned and they carry them up into orbit to a certain point and release the smaller plane. And the way that they do this is with a lot of propulsion and a lot of speed and a lot of engineering. So FAA approval, as you might imagine, is key for this business. I mean, if you don't get approval from the Federal Aviation Administration, like you can't fly. So thankfully, Virgin Galactic was granted a launch license a few years ago so they can officially put spacecraft into the air. But in order to have paying customers fly on their ships, there's this 29-step checklist that has to be fulfilled before the FAA grants those privileges. And as of the second quarter of 2020, Virgin Galactic has passed 27 of the 29 elements of this checklist. So they're getting really close to this regulatory approval, which is another huge milestone. So they're making progress here. And this is all great, but what's the demand of this business? I mean, really, where's the money coming from? So right now, it's coming from high net worth individuals who want to take it to go into space. And that's a term used in the finance industry. Let me explain what that means. A quote unquote high net worth individual, that's somebody who has a net worth of over 10 million bucks or a decamillionaire. And that kind of makes sense because tickets cost somewhere between $200,000 and $250,000. So it makes sense that only wealthy people would really be able to afford it. Now, how many people are in the pipeline to buy these tickets to actually fly? 
Well, Virgin has a one small step program is what they call it. And that basically introduces interested customers to the products and helps them become qualified prospects. So there's about 700 people right now waiting in that phase. And next there's the One Giant Leap program. And that is where people actually put down money on deposit to go and fly. So as of right now, there is about 600 future astronauts. And what that represents in terms of a backlog for the company is about $80 million in deposits. Once they make all the final payments, that number will go up to somewhere around $120 million in revenue for the company. So that's really where this money is going to come from for this business. So as of early 2020, they have had nearly 8,000 reservation inquiries in total. And about 3,000 of those have been since the late 2018 successful flights. So they're picking up steam as far as interest and momentum. And some people have actually put money down. But really, in order for this business to be successful long term, they're going to need a steady stream of wealthy people who come through and purchase tickets. And I imagine that this could very well happen because there's a lot of pent up demand for human space travel. There's a lot of private citizens who want to go into space, but have just never been able to because the, the entire process for decades has largely been controlled by governments who handpicked people and spent a lot of money and a lot of time training a very, very select group of people. So now this is kind of the democratization of space travel. Now, obviously it costs a lot of money to do it, but I imagine over time, over the course of the next few decades, we're going to see the price of space travel come down further and further to a point where it might even cost as much as what a plane ticket costs now. You never know. But I think that with something like transportation, um, what history has shown us is that it becomes kind of like a commodity-like activity where prices gradually get lower and lower as the infrastructure surrounding the transportation, enabling the transportation, gets better and more sophisticated, and the network effects get stronger. You start seeing economies of scale, etc. So that's kind of how I see this playing out. Now, as far as the market for these people, like how many high net worth people are there to even buy these flights? Well, according to a report by Credit Suisse, there's about 2 million of these people in the world, and that number is expected to grow by around 6% annually for the next few years. So there's definitely a lot of rich people in the world, basically. Now, how many of those people actually want to buy a ticket to go into space? I don't know. I don't know what that conversion rate is, but... There's obviously at least several hundred of them. So I think that there's definitely some potential there, but it's kind of hard, at least for me to gauge based on the data that I've seen in my research. Now, in the future, the company plans to expand beyond this single service. They want to actually have a vehicle that can be used for rapid air travel. So they want to have this vehicle reach speeds up to Mach 3. Now, Mach 3 for some context of what that means, that's over 2,283 miles per hour. That's incredibly fast, incredibly fast. And just for some context, the fastest plane in the world right now is a Boeing 747-8 Intercontinental, and that has a max speed of just under 660 miles per hour. 
So for a typical flight, like a typical Boeing 737 plane that you might fly on from New York to Los Angeles, that would fly around 580 miles per hour. So those are the typical speeds. So we're talking about a significant increase in speed. Imagine being able to go from, I don't know, Hong Kong to New York in the matter of like an hour or something like that. I haven't done the math on that, but it's definitely way faster. And then as far as the space industry at large, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce expects it to grow at around 6% a year, which is actually not as fast as I thought it would be growing, but it kind of makes sense because there's a lot of new players in the industry, but there's so much capital needed for a lot of these businesses to be viable that a lot of money is concentrating into these larger companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic. And so there's a lot of a lot of money that needs to be moved around in order to enable smaller space companies to have a shot at success. So even though Virgin Galactic is a younger company, they do have some financials that we can look at. So let's turn our attention to those now. Now for the sake of comparison, I usually look at a big time period, usually a 7-year time period between two different fiscal years of data. But Virgin Galactic's not that old, so we have to look at the data that we have. So I'll be comparing 2017 data to 2019 data. So first off, the sales. So this company has made sales. In 2017, they had $1.7 billion in sales. And in 2019, they had over $3.8 billion. So that's a pretty good rate of increase in sales. And excuse me, I meant to say million, not billion. The company is definitely making only in the millions as far as revenue right now. Definitely not the billions yet. So sorry, just that correction there. Now, the company is not making money. They're definitely losing a lot of money. So in 2017, they lost almost $140 million. And in 2019, that number reached over $200 million. And on an earnings per share basis, that's about a dollar or so per share loss. Now, the company does have cash. They've got hundreds of millions in cash, which that cash position hasn't changed that much over the years. And they don't have any long-term debt. They had over $120 million in near-term debt back in 2017, but they since paid that off. So the liabilities of the company are really tied up in things like lease obligations and, and things like that. So no just straight up debt from the company, which is good to see. Now, as far as the cash flow, the company is not cash flow positive yet either. In 2017, they had over $130 million going out the door in operating cash flow, so negative. And then that number decreased to over $200 million in the hole for operating cash flow. They invest some money in their business, but that's only on the order of like, $20 million or so a year because it's not so much capital expenditure expense at this point for them. It's more so a lot of general selling and administrative costs and a lot of research and development costs. So those costs are really, really high for the business. And that's really why they're not profitable is the revenue is far outstripped by the expenses. So as far as financing cash flow, they have also fluctuated. I mean, they had about $130 million coming into the business in 2017, and that increased over $630 million in 
the fiscal year 2019. And that's due to something called a reverse capitalization, which is just a fancy way of saying they increased their stock availability. So there's a lot of shares outstanding. So the company has about 200 million shares outstanding as of right now. And that's kind of where it sits financially, at least as a snapshot. So again, this isn't a company that's making money. I want to be very clear about that. But they do have revenue that's real, and they have a product that seems to have pent-up demand such that when regulatory approval does come, they're going to be able to cash in on that and realize their mission. So in closing, Virgin Galactic, they're doing some pretty cool things regarding human spaceflight and, and space tourism. But the thing is, this is a really capital-intensive industry. It'll be interesting to see how the economics shape up once all the infrastructure and development costs are largely complete and the company can just do what it wants to do and be profitable. So I think a business like this is kind of like a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it has this huge competitive slash first mover advantage. I mean, nobody else is really doing this at a big level right now, except for people like Blue Origin and SpaceX. I would say more notably Blue Origin, I think based on the research I've done on them, I haven't researched SpaceX as much, but uh, those are the other big guys in the space. So on the other hand, this is the business that requires a lot of capital just to prove a concept. But it makes sense that in this day and age, starting a space company, it's kind of a billionaire's game. I mean, you have Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson. These are the people who actually have the money and the influence to start a space company of this size and caliber. So economically, I do not see a reason to invest in a company like Virgin Galactic right now, unless you're willing to wait a very, very long time and you have a significant amount of faith in the ability of the company to execute on their vision, which they have been striving towards for over a decade now. Now, the stock is trading at around $18 per share, but I kind of think that's supported based on speculation, meaning that (laughs) I don't think it's supported at all. I mean, the company has passed some significant engineering and regulatory hurdles to get to where they are, but it has a lot of paying customers ready to buy, but I just don't know how to value a business like this, honestly. So because I admit my ignorance in valuing a business like this, I'm staying away But I think it's such an interesting concept, and I'll be interested to see where this business goes. If they manage to succeed with future flights, if they get their approvals, if the floodgates open and just thousands of people start putting down deposits to fly in space. So we'll see where that goes. I think it's a very intriguing company. But I think as investors, especially for beginning investors, you know, be really careful with a stock like this because... This is not a profitable company yet, and it doesn't have a lot of history of earnings or of offering products and services successfully yet. So maybe just one to watch, but I think it's a really interesting story, a really interesting company, and one that could have a lot of upside in the future. We'll see. So with that, that's what I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening to the Stock Stories podcast. Again, my name is Alex, and I am your stock storyteller. And if you want to reach out to me, reach out to me on Instagram. Send me a direct message at Stock Storyteller, or you can send me an email at alex at stockstoriespodcast.com. All right, thanks, and we'll see you next week.
information presented here on Stock Stories is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.